The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, we finished up 2 verse 41. Last week, man, it was a solid, strong like sermon, the first sermon in the church. A good sermon indeed as uh, Peter's bringing the word and we see kind of a, a model for what a sermon should contain, and a very powerful passage of Scripture. Um, and now we, we, we come to a, a different a part of Scripture, and just let me just be honest and transparent. I, I struggled this week with this passage of Scripture, and like trying to figure out, what, Lord, what are, you trying to, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? What do you want me to do with this? And, and it, it's, I think a little bit of that has to do with the familiarity I have with this passage. It's one I've I've taught several times, um, and, and so I, I don't know, and, I, and then I kind of think, well, man, maybe the Lord is like, he's, he's up to something that I, I don't know all of the message yet, and so uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what the Lord unpacks for us uh, today, but we've looked at, up to this point, the coming of the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, he was appearing to them over a period of 40 days post-resurrection. He's instructing them on a lot of things. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. He tells them to go wait in, in Jerusalem and that the Holy Spirit that he had talked about prior to his resurrection, prior to the crucifixion, he told them that the Holy Spirit would come. Then he is crucified. He rises from the dead, spends 40 days with them, appears to many people to whom one of them, like we're, we're reading from uh, accounts of some of them who were eyewitnesses of Jesus in his resurrected form. And so when people start telling you, well, man, that Christianity is mythology stuff, they don't have any idea what they're talking about. Like Christianity is not based, based on mythology. It's based on history. The Bible historically records these events. Jesus was a hist real historical uh, person. And so it's not based on mythological stuff. It's based on historical accounts from eyewitnesses that give us a testimony of what happened in their lives. And, and so this is one of the things they said. Jesus appeared to them and he said, wait. And as they were waiting, we learned that the Holy Spirit fell. And we learned how God moves we learned about the importance of the fire of God. The God, all throughout the Old Testament, the burning bush, um, the pillar of fire that would lead the uh, nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness, headed into the promised land. God was represented by fire. And then we see <clears throat> in the New Testament that God comes and he descends upon humanity for the first time individually. So now he's not descending on the temple, he's not descending on the ark, he is descending upon individuals. And there are tongues of fire that rest upon these 120 individuals. So we might say, well, why doesn't that happen today? If someone receives the Holy Spirit, why do we not see any fire? Because it's not necessary today. This was to establish the authority of Scripture. This was to establish that things were shifting in the kingdom. And so miraculous things happened around the events of the apostles in the early church. We see lots of miracles, but even as the New Testament times are, are, are the early church times are progressing, and by the time we, we get toward some of the later books, we don't see as many miracles happening. So are we saying that miracles don't happen anymore? No, we're not saying that. Miracles do, do still happen. They happen through prayer. Sometimes we pray and God will work a miracle in a person's life and they may be healed. 
But that's not what we're reading about in the book of Acts. We're seeing people, like blind people, sight restored, lame people healed through the touch of the apostle as he prayed supernaturally. God would move through that touch. And we'll see that's kind of important today that it helps us to be able to trust what those guys said. The authority of God, the power with, with, of God was resting on them so they could do miraculous things. And that's how God often moved in the Old and New Testament. Even with Jesus, we could see he could do the miraculous. And that was to demonstrate that God was with him. And so the, the Spirit comes, he descends, he falls upon people individually. And they come out speaking in tongues, it says, in languages. And, and so they come out in the streets. And we know that there was, there was this violent wind that caused a really loud sound that drew a, a, a much of the town to this area, this upper room where they were at. And these people, these 120 that were gathered in that room, they come out and they're speaking in, in tongues, in languages. And all of these different um, people groups um, that were from different parts uh, of, of the known world at that time that spoke different languages, they could hear them in their own language. And what blew them away about it is that the people who were speaking in their languages were Gentiles. And we might just say in, in understanding that contextually, they were simple folks. They were not the educated. They were ordinary people, fishermen, tradesmen. Like People who shouldn't be able to speak other people's languages were speaking in their languages, and it was a miraculous move of the Lord. And so they were asking, what does this mean? Some of them were making fun of them, saying they were drunk. And, and Peter preaches his sermon. And he says, Mel, no, this is what the scripture says. And he begins to break down the Psalms and, and the prophet Joel and says, this is what God said hundreds of years ago. He prophesied uh, through Joel that this would happen. And so we saw that, that Peter preached that sermon. And then 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. And the church is born. So up to this point, we don't have a church. There's never been a church. And then all of a sudden, there's a church. And so again, we look at our faith. We look at Christianity. And one of the evidences for um, uh, the, 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 the testimony or the believability of Christ is the church. Jesus said he would build a church. And there wasn't a church. And all of a sudden, there's a church. And guess what? It's still here. Like, it's all over the place. And we are part of that church. And so when we get to this passage right here, what we have is Luke, after giving us the start and the beginning of how the church started, he gives us um, a thesis paragraph on the state of the church in its earliest days, in all of its innocence, like before um, human failure, like leaders, obviously people who are part of the church fail. Uh, they succumb to temptation. They are led astray, and, and not always are people in the church listening to the voice of the Lord. And that's problematic. And that's why the Word of God is so central. And we'll again see that today. But when we look at the church right now, and he gives us a thesis statement of the church, we're seeing it in its purest form. It's innocent, like it's just begun. And he tells us what happens in that church. And then, as he moves away from this, as we get into chapters 3 through 28, it's all about how this is, is being displayed and different stories, different events that take place. So as we move forward from this, we'll see that he's showing us how God was doing these things. And so we pick up in verse um, uh, 42 of chapter 2, and we see what is so great about the church. And it gives us a, really a, 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 the state of the church. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and um, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we see like, whoa, isn't that? That's what was happening in the church. And so we jump in chapter 3, and, and, and Peter will say, like, here's one of those instances where Peter heals uh, a crippled beggar, and, and we move throughout, and we, we see these incredible things happen. We see the first person who's, who's um, murdered for believing in Jesus and confessing Jesus and preaching about Jesus. We'll see that. And, and so he's saying, man, these, these people were extremely devoted uh, to um, the, the, the word and the, and the movement of the kingdom that Jesus talked about. And so as we ask ourselves a, a few questions and we think about this greatness, here's the first thing I would, I would um, make an observation about from our text, is that to, for us to be great, and we're, we make an assumption about or, or uh, an assessment about our church, our local body of believers, OPCC we call it, and so we make an assessment. What is it going to require for us to be great? What is, what, is, what is there a need of? And so then I would extend that on out and say, it has to happen in your life because you are the body that makes up um, this, this gathering of believers. And so these things need to be happening in your life. And, and the first thing that we see is that it requires devotion. Okay? Now what does that mean? Well, it comes from the uh, Greek word proskaterero, not easy to say, but it means, like, we might say, well, I'm devoted to that. Okay, well, this, this is a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain cause of action. And so they were single-minded and had unity whenever they thought about the things of Christ and whenever they looked for the Lord to do things. And so this is where they were at. They were, they were sold out on this. And what does that mean? When you devote to Jesus, you will enjoy him, okay? If you do not fully devote to him, you will not enjoy him. Now, how do I know that? One, because Jesus said it. And two, because I tried it, okay? I tried for a while to hold on to a faith and, and have Jesus as my Savior, but not as my Lord. And I was miserable all the time because I would do things that I knew were sin. I knew I was engaged in a lifestyle that was sinful, but I still believed in Jesus, and as it was pulling me away from and, and causing me to rebel from the Lord, I was just in this miserable state. And so I, I had shame like bearing down on me. It was a burden that I carried. And that's because I was living like an old man, even though I was a new man that Christ had made me. And so what, what, what shifted for me at 22 was I got devoted. I no longer just believed in Jesus as my Savior, hoping that he would rescue me um, at the point of my departure from this planet and, and, and allow me to be with him forever, I was no longer looking at him to be just that. I was looking at him to be Lord of Jimmy, Lord of my job, Lord of my relationships, Lord of who I was going to date, Lord of who, where I was going to go, 
Lord of the way I was going to talk, Lord of how I was going to spend my day, Lord of how I was going to discipline myself in ways in order to allow him to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. And I think that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts that is so important for the church and what we've kind of, the church universal as we look at it in America today, where we're kind of missing the mark, I think, is that we're not teaching enough about the lordship of Jesus and we're teaching all about the salvation of Jesus. And thank God for the salvation of Jesus, all right? I'm, I'm thankful that he's savior. But you don't get Jesus as savior without getting him as Lord. That's why we, we get hung up on these passages of Scripture. When Jesus said to the people, he said, man, he talks about a, a situation. He says, all these people come up to him and said, Lord, did we not cast out demons? And did we not do the, help, the poor, do, help the poor and do all of these things in your name? And what does Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, what does that new mean? Um, well, I would submit to you that, there, that it, it is a form of the word gnosko, and it means an experiential knowledge. And I think what Jesus would be saying there is, you may, have, you may have believed me in one way, but you never took me as Lord. You never like owned the faith. You never were single-minded with a group of people about what you um, believed about, what the Word was teaching you and calling you to in a place of obedience. And so when we, when we come to that shift, what's beautiful about this and, and what's difficult about this is there's an enemy that will constantly keep us from making that decision because we're worried that if I sell out to that point, it's going to cost me some things. It's going to cost me some experiences that I really want to make decisions about in my own life as opposed to having Jesus make them. So we're afraid of losing our lives, so therefore we never find it and we can never enjoy Jesus because we never do fully devote. And so there has to be a time where, man, you, what, what, I'm reminded of Jesus saying this, if you want to find your life, you'll do what? Lose it. Like everything in the kingdom works upside down. You watch what Jesus does, and it's always upside down from the way the world tells us everything works. And so when you look at that, and he says, man, if you really want to find life, then lay your life down, lose it, be willing to sacrifice it for me, and I'll show you what life is all about. And that's where these people were at. They, they were single-minded in their action toward what they believed about the kingdom. And so what were they devoted to? Well, he tells us. Luke says specifically, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is that? Well, the apostles were teaching what? What was the requirement that Luke taught us in Luke chapter 1 about who was going to replace Judas who took his life? Well, the person had to have been with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist when Jesus called the first disciples. They had to have been with him that whole time. They had to have uh, known about his crucifixion and they had to have spent time with him in his resurrection. So they had to have been one who was with Jesus. And if they were, then we could choose one of these people to replace Judas, and they used the lots, the casting of the lots, and they chose Matthias, and he replaced him. And, and ta our takeaway from that is we know that one of the requirements um, of being an apostle was being one of the people who spent the entire time with Jesus. Why is that important? So they could testify of the whole council of what Jesus did. That's how we get the Gospels. What are the Gospels? There are four different guys who are giving us an account of what it was like to live with Jesus for three years up to the point of his crucifixion, crucifixion and um, uh, resurrection. 
And then we get in Acts, and it's an extension of the Gospels. So it goes from all of the accounts of, and that's why they're different. That's why they're very similar, but, but different is because it's like if Jimmy wrote about what it was like to be with Jesus for these three years, it would be different than um, what Corey might write about his perspective for being with Jesus for three years. Like, I'm going to see all of the outdoor stuff Jesus does, right? I'm going to see every bit of it. If there's anything Jesus says about hunting, I'm writing about it in the gospel, right? And, and, and Corey's probably going to be more prone to the arts and things that Jesus did on the arts side and fishing. He likes to fish. He's got a kayak on his car right now. Did y'all see that? Does Corey look like a guy that likes to fish? No, he doesn't. Better yet, does Corey look like a guy that could get a girl like that? <laughs> <It was just, laughs> but he did. So Jesus is alive. <laughs> okay, so, so and, uh, like, that, that's what's going on with the Gospels, is, is, is that the, the, the Lord is using these guys to write about um, what, what, what happened in their encounter, and then Luke kind of picks up. And so whenever it says they followed the apostles' teachings, well, the apostles were used to remind us through the power of the Holy Spirit of all that Jesus did and taught. Like, so the significant things that God wanted us to know, like how to be born again. Well, John writes about the encounter with Nicodemus and, and how one comes into the kingdom of God, they must be born spiritually. And he writes that account. And so we know these things. And so these people followed the things that the apostles said. And that's why the Lord chose the apostles so that he could establish for us something that we could trust and follow. If we did not have the Bible, then people could try to convince us of anything. And sadly, people still do try to convince us of anything. And people are following lies. Why are they following the lies? Why are they trusting the things that, that a, a pastor might say? He stands in a pulpit and he says some things and he, they're trusting him and he's saying lies. Why would they do that? Because they're not people who are following the apostles' teaching. Today, as a church, you're not following Jimmy's teaching because the age of revelation has closed. And all I do is I proclaim the apostles' teaching. And so I'm looking through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I'm doing an exposition of that text and telling you this is what the Word of God says. I'm not telling you how I feel about something. I'm not telling you what I think about something. I'm trying to settle my mind and my heart in what does a good interpretation of this text say and mean, and how do you apply that to your lives? It's following the apostles' teachings. And so that's what this early church did. And they were devoted to it. And so they could devote um, um, to this because the Lord supported it by miracles. This is why it was important um, for the apostle Peter to be able to perform miracles. Why was that important? So that we could be established that, man, the, the, the hand of God was upon this life and the things that he wrote were not just coming from him. Now, I don't need that. You don't need me to perform a miracle. Why? Because the age of revelation is closed. Like God is no longer revealing truth. Everything that we need to know about understanding who, who God is and having a relationship with him has already been given to us. So there's no need for another person to have miraculous powers because the truth has already been given. And so what does this mean for us when we think about that? Well, we, the word um, is, is to be central in our lives. And so when you think about, okay, what does a healthy church look like? Number one, out of the gate, it ought to be a church that teaches the Word, the Bible, okay? 
Not a church that, that does all these, the, uh, this may hurt some feelings here, but t- frankly, I don't care because I, me and Jonah were driving down the street and we're driving by a church and it says, Saturday, May 18th, blessing of the pets. <laughs> what? Blessing of the pets? Is that really, like I, I love pets, okay? But where do you get that from the word of God? Like, that, that's where we've come, is like, whatever we need to do to get people to come to church. Like, frankly, if we, and, and sometimes we won't teach the word because we're afraid people won't come to church. Well, I would rather have a church where there was nobody at and I was preaching the word than to have a church that was filled with people and I wasn't preaching the word. That is a terrifying thing to think about because it is unbiblical. And what reason would I have for being there if I'm not going to believe in something that God has given me to teach his people? And so that's kind of where we're, we look at, at, at church and we go, man, what is the one of the most important things for us is that the apostles' teaching is being taught. Now, that responsibility is on me, right? But it's on you too because how would you know if I was teaching you something that wasn't in the Word unless you were in the Word yourself? See, you have a responsibility to ensure that your pastor is teaching the Word and not something else. And so we look at this and we go, okay, men, this is the first thing they were devoted to. And then they devoted to fellowship. What does that mean? They were devoted to each other. And this was more than being together. Like they had a common loyalty to each other. What does that mean? They let the word of God speak to them together. And they would help each other. They would confess sin to each other. (laughs) When's the last time you did that? got there in the church with somebody else and confessed your sin to them. Might I say to you that we did that at the men's retreat. It was unbelievable. Like we woke up Saturday morning and we had a time of confession. It was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. It was unbelievable. And and, and you could tell the Lord was moving in that. And what's happening there? Fellowship. The fellowship of our struggles together as we're confessing and finding power and strength in that. And we're confessing other things of, of how we found victory in different areas of our lives where God is giving us movement and the kingdom is moving. And that's the way the kingdom's supposed to work. And so they had fellowship like that. They, wherever you found one disciple, you found two. Like, like you, so here's what I'm saying is that we have good, strong relationships in the church. We need more good, strong relationships to the church. Like you need to make friends with people and you need to make friends with different people. You don't need to spend your time in the church with all the same five people all the time because God has done a work in your life and your job is to connect with the body. And so sometimes you need to invite somebody else to go eat lunch with you. You say, I don't know them. That's the point, right? Is that you will never get to know them. And as we spend time together and we fellowship with one another, then we learn each other's stories, and there is power in that. And that's one of the things that marked the early church is they fellowshiped often with one another. Um, they were devoted to breaking bread. And, and certainly this is communion, but I think it's more. I think it's more than communion. They observed the Lord's Supper. They remembered. But I think they also like ate together. And there's something powerful about eating together. When you come around the table, one of the things we do in our family often as, as we eat a meal around the table is I'll ask the kids, what are your wins and what are your losses? Where are you winning like, in, in the Lord, in the kingdom, and where are you losing? Where are you struggling in life? Where, where are you getting victory in life? And it's just a powerful time, and there's something about eating a meal where you can just do that. Like, I don't know what it is, um, but, 
when you come together and you eat together, it's sort of relaxing. And so uh, they, they, they broke bread together often. Um, and then uh, they were devoted to prayer. They asked the Lord to do things. And guess what? He did. Okay, so I pray. Like, I don't mind just pushing in. I prayed this morning. I prayed yesterday. I prayed the day before. I prayed the day before and the day before and the day before. And I've told you this often. Your names, if you attend church here, are on my whiteboard, and your name is called out before the Father. Did you call my name out last week? Amen. You Somebody better say yes. <laughs> No, that's what we need. Like, we need to be calling each other's name out and asking the Lord to help us, help us to grow. One of the things you ought to pray as you pray for me is that the Lord would put in my heart the very thing that you need to hear from his word. Like, that's what you ought to pray for me as a pastor for. Is that I, and I'll tell you another thing you ought to pray for me is protection. You ought to pray for the Lord's protection over my life from the enemy. Because if the Lord takes me out, it's, it's if the Lord takes anybody out, and if I fall and I fall to sin, publicly it is, a, it is a disgrace to the church. It's a disgrace for any of us. But here I am leading, and, and guess who the enemy would like to take out? Me. And so I'm not immune from sin. And so I need you to pray for me in that. Ask the Lord to protect me in that. And so we see that the, 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 they prayed for each other and they saw the Lord begin to do things. And then they sacrificed to meet needs. Okay, so they, they were sacrificial. Now I want to I teach this real quick. It says they sold all of their possessions and they gave as anyone had need. Okay. All right, so that's what we're going to do. No. <laughs> that's not, what happened was is all these people had made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And when they encountered Jesus in the resurrected form and the coming of the Spirit, many of them did not go back home, okay? So they, they stayed in Jerusalem to be a part of what was happening. They felt the call of the Lord. And they couldn't often get work because they were ostracized from the Jewish community because they began to say that what Judaism was doing had rejected Jesus and crucified him. So sometimes they couldn't get jobs. And so what they did is they sold during this period, they sold possessions and met one another's needs. Um, th that is not something that the scripture calls us to, to sell all our stuff and, and live in like a commune. Because we can look at the scripture and later we see that some are wealthy in the church, some are poor, and we, we help each other out. It talks about giving of your first fruits. It never says from this point, it never says sell all your stuff and, 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 and give it to the church. That's not what is being taught here, but it is being taught that Christians that are fellowshipping together, they have a concern for one another and they try to meet each other's needs when they see a genuine need ahead of them. So what were, what were the results of this? Well, it says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. They were, just, they were blown away. And so when, here's, here's what I take away from that. When we expect the Lord to move in our lives, He will. They had an expectation of the Lord to move and He did. And this is the result of devotion to the kingdom. When Jesus moves, what happens is you cannot contain it. You want to tell the story of what God did recently in your life and say, man, I, this happened. You're not going to believe what just happened in my life. And so they would share it. And it bursts out of you and you will talk about it. And it reminds me of what Jesus said. I will make you a well of water, a spring of water bursting forth into eternity. 
And so that's what's supposed to be happening to us is that there's so much going on inside of us and around us that it, it is the content of our lives that we're sharing it with other people. Um, we see that, the, again, they had um, everything in common. There was great unity among them, and they saw the kingdom move, and it led to more movement. Um, they praised God. I love this part. It says, did you notice um, there it says in verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of who? All the people. Not just the people in the church. All people, they had favor with people. Why? Because the Lord was moving in their lives in such a way that people could see that they were people of, that were filled with love, that were sacrificially giving their lives for the benefit of others because they realized um, that the kingdom of Christ should be sought first. And so what the result of that was the Lord added to their number daily, daily people who joined them and were getting saved. And that word again is sozo. They were getting well from sin. And the Lord was doing a work in their lives as they were coming to Jesus. And so here's the, here's the big idea of today's talk. OPCC is strong and getting stronger. We're not loaded with people, okay? I get that. But I think the people who are here are really interested in being what I'm talking about. And the people who aren't really interested in there, because I'm a, I'm a pastor that will constantly lean in, okay? That's what I believe my pur purpose is. And the people who aren't okay with that and they just want to be comfortable and cozy, they don't stick around. And, and, and that's okay, um, because I'm not going to quit. Why? Because I'm your shepherd. And my responsibility is not to amass a large crowd. It is to prepare the sheep to meet the Savior. Okay, that's my job. And so I'm going to teach the Word. I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to make sure that I'm doing all that I can to help a person know where they need to be in their walk with the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.